We're going to be in the book of Exodus this week. We're going to kind of overlap a little of of Pastor Joe's sermon last week. Last week, Pastor Joe um, preached to us out of Exodus chapter 3, and he kind of covered the whole chapter, but really focused on who is God. He he focused on God in this passage. And and this week, we're going to add in chapter 4, but we're going to look at what was Moses doing in all this? Where was he at this whole time when God is giving these incredible revelations of who he is, that he's the God who sees and hears and knows. He's the God who listens. He's the God who comforts. But he is also the great I am, the, the mysterious, bigger than we can imagine God. What does this do to Moses? Where's he at in all of this? As I I read through this passage over and over and I looked at what was going on with him. And I I saw that that God had called Moses to something. Moses was just fraught. He was overwhelmed with his fear. Then God put him on a path and moved him out of that fear after answering those fears toward action. And it, it it hit me as I realized how much of my life is driven by fear. And how many times I fail, how many times I just don't even attempt to follow God in His commission, His call upon our life. That, that great but overwhelming call, that, that rallying call of the Great Commission Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And, and every time, like I'm up here, so I've, like, I've seen this, when that's the text, it's not because we don't want people to know about Jesus. That has nothing to do with it. It's that this is hard. Who wants to just pop over somewhere else in the middle of the world and tell somebody who's never heard about Jesus about Jesus, often in places that aren't nice from our perspective? Who wants to risk their job to tell their coworkers that there's actually this thing called sin? I started to realize how easy it is to get overwhelmed. I remember um, a day when I first moved to Nashville, just just a couple months (laughs) after I moved to Nashville. And to say that when we got going was bad is is like a laughably humorous statement. Um, Joe has often often described it as a train wreck with a dumpster fire on top, and that's that's getting there. Like we're we're in the realm at that one. Um, and I remember one night when it it just hit. Um, I'd been burgled that night. All my tools had been stolen off the church property. Um, that was a fun night, and. I, what I was doing at the time just to try to cope was walk. I hate running. I didn't run. I, I walked. And I had walked for about an hour. And it just, the emotions of it, the, the just overwhelm, I can't do it. This is, this is failing miserably. It just got so big. I, I literally couldn't take another step. I sat down on the curb. Um, I, I couldn't move. 
my wife, this, this is the great part. So my wife was immigrating at that time from Romania after we'd gotten married and didn't have her paperwork in. So she couldn't get a driver's license. So she couldn't learn to drive. And I'm out there stuck somewhere. I'm like, I'm somewhere down this road. So she, she got the Jeep, drove. This was like her first, this was her first time to drive by herself, trying to figure, illegally. I should, probably shouldn't say that. She's listening. Um, picked me up, took me home. Um, thankfully, she's a godly, encouraging woman. She didn't make fun at me at all till later. Um, like, this is the moment. It's that kind of a moment that Moses is having. He is, like, one of the, I mean, the burning bush. Like, that's the Bible story, right? In, like, top five. I mean, everybody, there's the burning bush. And Moses' experience of the burning bush is, oh, no, 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 no. He's scared to death. And not of God, who's who you should have been scared to death in that moment. He's scared to death to do what God has called him to do. So most of the sermon this morning is we're, we're just going to walk through Moses' fears. And I'm going to guess, if you're like me, I saw it. Me and every one of them. But you'll probably see yourself in some of these. So we're going to read Moses' statement and God's response. And then we're going to look at what happens to get this, this terroring, this, this quivering Moses to chapter 5, verse 1, where he walks up to the most powerful man on the planet and bosses him around. What, how do you get from there to there kind of thing? And that's what we're going to talk through today. So the first thing, just to, to kind of to chunks of the sermon, so to speak, is our, our struggles to follow God. Our struggles to follow God, particularly in the Great Commission when we look at ourselves. How do we struggle? And the first one, like I say, we're going to go back in a little bit in chapter 3. We're going to read in chapter 3, verse 11. But, but we fear, we struggle, we are terrified so often of our own inadequacies. We fear that our own inadequacies will be revealed to everybody else. Look in Exodus 3, verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? Moses knew. He'd already blown this once. If you remember back in the story, everybody knows there's something special about Moses. Even his parents, like, there's something weird. They use the word that's only used that one place in the Bible. But like, something's different about this kid. And then he's floated down the river in a basket. He's saved by Pharaoh's daughter, given the best education. All the things are going for Moses. And he finally realizes, no, I'm called to help my people. And how's he work all that out? He goes and kills a dude. He commits murder. And rather than the people who were enslaved that he was trying to help, like his motive for committing murder was to help the people of Israel, they're so scared to death of him that he's going to kill them too. He's a big rich guy. He'll just kill us too if he doesn't like us. Moses flees, runs into the desert. He literally disappears. I mean, he goes off the grid. Quite literally, he's in the middle of nasty dirt hills 
taking care of sheep. He's a Bedouin shepherd for 40 years. He knows he's a failure. And God says, go. Look at God's response. Look at this. This is, this is one of the most comforting passages in this whole section here. Verse 12. He said, God said, but I will be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. See, God's response to Moses' inadequacy wasn't to fix Moses. He didn't make him look like John Momoa or Jason Momoa and, you know, nice as Teresa of Calcutta and talk like Sean Connery and lead like Patton. He left Moses as Moses. A shepherd. A nobody. The one thing he says is, I am going with you. Moses, in his fear of an inadequacy, which was accurate, by the way, he'd failed, was because he was looking in the wrong place. He was looking at himself. He was looking inside rather than to God. God had no problem with inadequacy. He is completely inadequate. He is completely self-sufficient. He is God. And he says, I'm just going to go with you. And that takes care of whatever Everything that you're feeling. I got it. I am with you. That's all you need. You don't need to have all this stuff together. I want you to think through something that's said over and over in this passage. God keeps repeating that He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now we hear that and we're like, those are the big dudes, right? Those are the, the patriarchs. Think about what God is actually saying when He says that. God's saying, I'm the God of the scaredy-cat, wife-abandoning liar named Abraham. I'm the God of the disaster dad with no guts named Isaac. And I'm the God of the guy who lies so much they nicknamed him Deceiver. Whose kids grow up so bad that they try to kill each other and sell each other into slavery. That's, that's who I am. I'm those guys, God. See, the reason we recount, the reason we remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is not because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were great guys. They had a great God. They actually trusted, despite all their failures and inadequacies, they actually trusted in the God who called out to them. God was with them. And God says, I'm going to be with you, Moses. Moses had to trust that God was bigger than his own inadequacies. Like, it's easy for, oh yeah, God's big. He can do miracles. He can split the Red Sea. He can do this. He can feed the 5,000. But somehow there's a catch in this brain of ours that says, yeah, but he's really not bigger than what a mess up I am. Somehow we, we, we can't translate this one 
to this one. Moses was scared about how inadequate he felt. But the reality is, as the great theologian spoke before, he was thinking way too much of himself. It's not that he needed to think of himself less as of himself better. He just needed to not think of himself and think more and more about God. We fear our inadequacies. We feel that they're going to be revealed. Heaven forbid somebody else know how bad I really am. But two, we also fear our lack of knowledge and our lack of authority. We fear our lack of knowledge and authority. I want you to look with me in chapter 3, verse 13, right after this. It says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, What's his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Moses is worried. He's, I can't answer the questions. This is probably the number two thing I hear about when it comes to people trying but being scared to death to fulfill God's great commission to go and make disciples what, what do I say I don't know what to say well, how, and why would they believe me who am I to say anything to someone God actually answers Moses' technical question who, who do you What do I say if they ask, who sent you? What's his name? And God gives this mysterious, like, mind-blowing statement of, of I am who I am. But that's not really, you know, a satisfactory answer to that question, right? See, sometimes we're way too worried about what to say. And we're forgetting to just tell the story of Jesus. Do you remember the story of the woman at the well? Jesus is traveling. They're, they're in Samaria. So they're, they're, out of, they're actually out of their district, their, their section of the Roman Empire, to a rival people group. People group that Jews traditionally hated, and Samaritans, by the way, hated the Jews. And he's talking to his disciples. They go off to buy some food. Jesus left sitting at a a well. Woman walks up and he says, would you give me a drink of water? She's coming to get water. She's by herself, which would have been odd. She says, you want water from me? She's already feeling that inadequate. You know, what do I do? Jesus proceeds to tell her that, yeah, I know all about you, that you've been divorced five times um, and that you're living with someone who's not your husband right now. Great conversation starter, right? And this woman, through conversation, realizes who Jesus is. He's the Savior. He knows everything. He's here to take care of us. And instead of beating me up for my sins and my past, He's kind and He's loving. And He's offering hope and forgiveness. So His disciples come up. The woman begins to leave. And it says she ran to the town and she runs through town, come meet a man who told me everything I already did. Or everything I ever did. Like, that's not exactly a, you know, theologically masterful presentation of the gospel, right? He told me everything I already did. He told me all my sins. He knows all the rotten stuff. And it says the people came out. 
not because of like the content of her message, right? But they, they could tell something's going on. They came out, and it says many trusted Christ that day. Many started to follow Christ. And it says specifically, because you said, the woman said, he told me everything I ever did. So many of us are too worried that we don't know the three-page outline to evangelism explosion. I, I memorized a three-page outline. And by the way, it's, evangelism explosion is great. I, I love it. I've done it before. I, I highly recommend it if anybody wants to do it. But is this, de- I mean, you, you know everything to say when they say this, you say this, and when they say this. You know, I've never led someone to the Lord using evangelism explosion. The last three adult men I've led to the Lord, here's how the conversation went. So let me get this straight. I've heard that, that Jesus came, He's God, came to earth, He died for my sins, He rose again, and I'm supposed to trust Him and turn my life to him. Is that, like, that's, that's the gospel, right? Is that, I'm, I'm a little confused here. Is that, I'm like, yeah, that's it. Okay, I want to trust Christ. Kid you not, last three adult men I've led to Christ, that's been the conversation. That's not rocket science. Like, I, I'm going to tell you, I am not the most eloquent, you know, I'm not the, the snap, you know, Russell Gill who can, has an answer to everything. Like, that's just not me. That's shooting fish in a barrel, man. That's not hard. It wasn't, I wasn't twisting somebody's arm. Come on, come on, you can... No. Like, this is the gospel? Oh, okay. Let's trust. I want to trust Christ. We are so worried about this stuff. And I'm not saying some of you don't need to grab a book like Reason for God. Um, or there's several out there. The, the, we can print more of the... Um, Christianity explained. There's lots of tools out there that are great, and we should study and get ready for those. But the reality is you're too worried about what you're going to say and not worried enough about who you're going to talk about. Stop worrying about that. Worry about Jesus. Worry about Him. Share what He did for you what he did for you all right next thing not only are we worried about our inadequacies being revealed our our lack of knowledge and authority we fear rejection boy this uh, this is the one that hit home for me i i am i struggle with fearing people more than god that's what i'm just i don't know i may struggle with it for the rest of my life i never want to make people mad i hate making people mad moses did too listen to this Chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 9. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord didn't appear to you. They're just going to reject me. Verse 2, The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. He said, Throw it on the ground. He threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. That's how we know he's a godly man. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. This is the most difficult command in Scripture to follow ever. Praise God, he didn't give it to us, right? So he put out his hand, he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, 
the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Verse 6, again the Lord said to him, put, out, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. It had a, had a skin disease that was deadly in that day. Verse 7, then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. He put it back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe either of these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile, pour it onto the dry ground, and the water that you take from the Nile will become blood on that dry ground. It's a a preview of the first plague. The summary of all of that, Moses says, they're going to reject me, God. They're not going to like me. They're going to turn against me. They're going to mock me. They're going to fire me from my job. God says, I got this. Pure and simple. God shows off. I got this. God doesn't promise thankfully, to turn sticks into snakes when we throw them down all the time. Or give us a deadly disease and take it away instantly. But God does take responsibility for His Gospel work. I don't know if you know this. You can't save anybody. Do you know that? You can't change anybody? Did did y'all realize that? I, I know I'm If you can't tell, I'm being sarcastic, right? We can't make anybody do anything. And by the way, if you could save people, (laughs) we don't need that kind of salvation, right? We're, We're not that good. They need Jesus. They need to know that Jesus is the one who died for their sins, not you. They need to know that Jesus is the one who rose from the grave and He's the one that's going to raise you from the grave, not you. They need to trust in Him and not you. God takes responsibility for His gospel work. You're the messenger. That's your job. Jesus doesn't say, go make converts. He doesn't tell you to go force people to change. He says, go make disciples. He teach them to follow me. Now that means sharing the gospel, and that means God will convert some. Strangely, the more we share the gospel, the more he converts. Amazing how that works. But there is a reality to this. Sometimes people kill the messenger, right? But the messenger has done his or her job. Rejection of Christ is not on you unless you're a jerk and you attach all this crazy stuff to the gospel. Rejection of the true gospel is not on you. It's not on me. God's got that part. He calls. He saves. He does the work. He gives the faith. He turns the heart. He awakens people from death to life. We can't do any of that. We're simply called to go tell people, there's this guy, and he's told me everything I've ever done. 
And you didn't kill me for it. He forgave it. Your testimony is so, so powerful. All right, let's keep going. Chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 10. So not only do we have fears of inadequacy, fears of what to say, fears of our knowledge and authority, fear of rejection. This is probably the number two thing I hear when we talk about sharing our faith. And that's that I am scared to death to actually talk to somebody about this. Like, I, I know what to say, or at least generally what to say. I, like, to go up and talk to somebody. I'm so introverted, or I, am, I struggle so much with this, or I am so scared. to. I, I can't actually get the words to come out. Look at chapter 4, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made a man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and will teach you what to speak. Think back to my trips to Central Asia and seeing men and women who've never been to school, who probably were not allowed in school, who have a disability, a lot of cerebral palsy, uh, particularly there, who may have trouble to speak. I, I think of a, a woman who's become a friend there. She's in a wheelchair. She's difficult to understand her very words. But when she shares her testimony, man. And it's not magical. It's not special. It's it's that she knows that Jesus has saved her and she is willing to tell somebody else how much he means to her. It's simple. And it's, I mean, just straining. Uh, you can see that she's speaking in Russian and you can just see the people just struggling to even understand it. The translators are struggling. I'm not sure what she said there. So much more powerful than anything I would say on those services when we're sharing the gospel there. So much more powerful. See, God says, I'm going to help you. And it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be eloquent. It doesn't have to be a sermon you could give to the entire church. We're called to just share the gospel and tell people how to follow Jesus. That, like That's the Great Commission. Here's Jesus. He died for your sins. He's, he's God the Son, come to earth. He took on flesh. He lived a perfect life. He died for your sins. He, he rose again, and now He calls you to trust Him and turn to Him. Like That's the gospel. And God says He'll help you with the words. Jesus said, even if they call you into court, you're, you're under arrest. Your life is in danger of death or incarceration for me. My spirit will take care of it. My spirit will speak through you. Don't even worry about what you're going to say. My spirit has this. So let me just encourage you. Don't think you have to be the world's greatest public speaker. You've got to go you know, take Communications 101 at the local college to... to 
Tell somebody what happened to you. Don't worry if it's a little awkward. It's going to be awkward. <laughs> like, it's never not awkward. We've got to get over our fear of speaking. God says, I'm going to take care of it. I made your mouth. I can make it work. Now the last fear. Kind of the, the bucket fear. Well, God, you, okay, I know you answered all those detailed ones, but here's the real problem. Verse 13, read with me and then we'll talk about what it is. But he said, oh my Lord, please send somebody else. You know what Moses' real like, deep down issue was? He didn't want to. That's the reality of it. We just don't want to do what God calls us to do most of the time. It is much easier to sit on the couch or if you're me, up in the bonus room in my little happy place making stuff. Like I would much rather do that than any of this other stuff. Verse 13. They said, oh my Lord, please send somebody else. And watch this. All of his inadequacy, struggles, fears, God is very kind and compassionate to. But when he just says, I don't want to, God, look what he does. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. This is the one time God pushes hard. When Moses is just being lazy. Say, I just don't want to do what you say, God. And even then, even when he's angered and pushes back at Moses, you know what he does? He gives Moses what he asked for. He sends somebody else. Look at this. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Then you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and shall be, he shall be your mouth, and you shall serve as God to him, and shall take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. In other words, you're going to speak. It's going to be like God speaking when you tell Moses what, or when you tell your brother what to say. Even when Moses just gets lazy and doesn't want to, God still provides. Isn't that amazing? What a gracious, kind, merciful God. Even in his anger, it just outright, nope, God don't want to do it. He's still kind. But he does confront it. So the reality is, it's hard. It's hard. I, every time I go to share the gospel or invite somebody to church, or even lead a family devotion, it's, okay, I really have much rather do just about anything. The reality is God calls us to share. Why He has chosen to work through people like me and you who are so messed up, I do not know. But He has. He calls you to obey His call on your life. To make disciples of all nations. That starts with your family. starts with the people you meet at the grocery store, your neighbors, your co-workers, school, uh, kids at school. People on a team. But then to actually go out and step out too. Be intentional. So what are some of God's solutions? What are like, how do we get from Moses? No, 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 no. Or but God, but God, but God. That's how he starts every sentence if you look through this passage. Verse 18. 
God just starts pushing Moses out. So how does, what are God's solutions to moving forward? The first one is at some point we are called to step out in faith because of God's word and God's work. God tells us and he's worked in the past. We can see his faithfulness. Read chapter 4 verse 18 with me. It says, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and, he, and had them ride a donkey and went on the, back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hands and the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, See that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel's my firstborn son, and, you, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. So Moses' first step was a step of faith. He knew what God had told him to do. God says, I'm with you. He answers all these concerns. But at some point, Moses had to trust him. So let me, let me maybe talk to some of you that are explore, still exploring the gospel. Maybe you're a student, um, a child who's, who's been thinking about this stuff. Maybe you're an adult who's just checking out what is this Christianity thing. As Christians, we want to help answer your questions as best we can. And I fully believe that in God's Word, and as we talk and we use the gifts He's given us, like reason, study, science, we can make a very reasonable argument for Christ. A better argument for Christ than anything else out there. But at some point, God calls you to actually trust Him. God in the, in the New Testament never calls you to figure it all out. And you won't, by the way. God actually does call you to faith, though. He calls you to believe His Word, believe what He said, and lean on Him. So let me challenge you. If you're thinking, if you're weighing these concerns, that's good. We should weigh them. We should seek good answers. But at some point, what, what is that point for you? We have to say, okay. The evidence is there. I trust you, God. We would love nothing, nothing more than to do that. But for those of you who are believers, every day is a life of faith, too. Having faith, that talking to your child about the same thing for the 50 millionth time, I, someday I'm going to make a million dollars because I'm going to get a t-shirt that says, I became a dad because I like to repeat myself, repeat myself, repeat myself. Like, but having enough trust in what God says that we're to faithfully raise our kids, we're to love them, be patient with them, and not bring them to frustration, that that'll reap the reward. So we, we in faith do the same thing we've done before again. That's what God tells us to. Or we love on that one coworker, you know, that one coworker again, despite the fact that they don't deserve it. At some point, we got to step out and trust God to do what He says and leave the results to Him. We got to trust Him. 
We just have to trust Him. Second solution, step out in faith. But two, repent of disobedience and secret sin. Okay, this is the weird part. You know it's not one of my texts that Joe assigns unless there's something weird in it. Here it is. Chapter 4, verse 24. It says, At the lodging place on the way, the Lord met him. This is Moses. The Lord meets Moses. And sought to put him to death. Yep, weird. I know. Why well, didn't just talk to him about this earlier? I do not know. Verse 25, Then Zipporah, this is his wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskins and touched it to Moses' feet and said, Surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. This is the Lord. Let him alone. And it was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. We don't know. Nobody knows. It's weird. But here's the point. Here's why. The, I don't know what was going on there, but here's why. God would not tolerate the disobedience in Moses' heart. See, it's not, th this seems like a minor thing to us, but this was the sign that you were a believer in God. This was the sign. This is what God called Abraham to do. And here's the crazy thing. Moses knew it. He'd been trained up. He'd been raised by his Jewish mama. He knew he was Jewish. He knew this. His wife even knew it because she knew exactly what to do. Here's the weird part. Egyptians back then circumcised all their boys. Like Everybody else was doing it. This, he has intentionally acted in some kind of weird disobedience. I don't get it. We, like, we don't know the details. But there was something in Moses' heart. So let, me, let me pull some things together on this. One, spouses. Sometimes you need to obey God even when your other spouse doesn't. Their sin is not an excuse for you to sin. If they don't read Scripture every day, if they don't try to take in God's Word and pray and seek God, it, it doesn't matter. You, you do. If they don't act in a godly manner, that's no excuse for you. Who knows what God will do? God saved Moses through Zipporah's obedience. But personally, that deep dark thing that's in the back corner, spiritually, that sin that you've just been let sit, do you know is there? It's time to repent. Moses was not going to be put before God's people with a glaring sin in his life. God had to take care of this first. So let me encourage you. That sin that you keep playing games with needs to be put to death. Secret sin needs to be repented of. Finally, actually do what God commands us to do. Um, took some counseling, pastoral counseling classes in, uh, in seminary. And I remember this statement. It, it really stuck with me. And I've only counseled one person who's really, truly just been a lazy bum before. I've, I've seen this so many times before. And that, that was, the statement was, the hardest person to counsel in the world is someone who's lazy. Because... The solution to their problem is do something. 
And what's their problem? They won't do anything. I've taken that to heart. And I've seen that repeat over and over, not just with lazy people, but with, with me, with you. The hardest thing sometimes for us is to, to actually just do what God tells us to do. And that's where God brought Moses. Like, he acted. God said this, Moses did it. Um, as a parent, one of the things I see over and over is sometimes the hardest thing to do is like, I, I know you want to ask this question. I know you want to do this. I know you've got this other diet, but right now, like, I just need you to brush your teeth. No, no, just brush your teeth. No, no, brush your teeth. Like, all they need to do is brush their teeth. Like, we don't, all this other stuff, it's going to be okay. Brush your teeth. Your mouth stinks. You're going to get cavities. Brush your teeth. But that's us. That, like, that is me when it comes to God's call and the Great Commission. Like, go make disciples. Yeah, well, well I got to really get, uh, mm. Go make disciples. Listen to God's word. And listen to where God took this cowering, scared Moses. Verse 27. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him in the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses and Aaron, excuse me, Moses told Aaron all the words that the Lord which he had sent to him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Remember, like, this is international move here. This was not a quick thing. Aaron spoke all the words the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And all Moses is scared of all that. Like, hey, they just, okay. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their afflictions, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Man, what a great day that must have been. For the people, for Moses, can you imagine that day? Listen to verse five, or chapter 5, verse 1. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God, the God of Israel, let my people go. He did it. He said it. Now, this wasn't rocket science what it said, right? The whole message thing. Like, let my people go. Okay, and there were some details, but basically, like, this was not complicated. And God changed that man's heart. And he used him. So our musicians come, we're going to sing, we're going to pray, but, but let me ask you to think through this. Every time that, that pinprick of your heart says invite that person to church share the gospel actually talk to someone rather than be quiet ask someone hey i know you're really hurting can i pray with you confront that brother or sister on the sin that's going to ruin their marriage if they don't stop start family devotion i'm not talking like big picture stuff i'm like tonight like we're gonna have to start family devotion like it's hard every single time i say all right let's read the bible and pray because it's easier just not to. Will you choose to trust that God can use a scared, inadequate, ignorant, weak, waffling person like me or you?
When you step out in faith, when you turn away from that sin that keeps lurking in the background, when you actually do what He calls you to do, not because you're strong or special, because He's just a big, amazing God. He saves. Let's do it. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the day. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Moses. Thank You that He wasn't a superhero and we can see so much of ourselves in Him. Lord, may we actually follow You. You're such a good God. So worthy of following. May we actually do it. Lord, help us to behold the wondrous mystery. Like, really take it in. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.